beautiful people. Welcome to Chronicles Abroad. It's a podcast show that uses travel to highlight stories of personal growth. So each week we'll spotlight the stories of courageous world travelers, creative wanderers, and digital nomads who share their incredible experiences of the world through their eyes. If you like traveling, this is what you need. So tune in. Welcome to Chronicles Abroad. This is your host, Nubia. And I'm Francis. And we have an awesome episode for y'all today. We have Miss Gemma Patterson of the website halftheclothes.com. I kind of like that. I love that. <laughs> I immediately I think I, of nudity, but I know it's deeper than that. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of cool. I wish I would have thought of nudity when I was picking the website, but I just was reading all these travel quotes and I really liked this one from Susan Heller. When you prepare to travel, you lay out all of your clothes and then you take half the clothes and twice the money. And I don't really know about the twice the money part, but I'm definitely a minimalist. And so I was like, yeah, take half the clothes. Exactly. And then I didn't really think about the alternative uh, interpretations. <laughs> it's okay. I thought it was cool. It made me smile when I heard it. I was like, oh, this is kind of awesome. Half the clothes. So Gemma, welcome to Chronicles Abroad. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so are we. So Gemma, you originally are from Wyoming, is it? Yep. Grew up in Wyoming. Okay. And eight years ago, approximately eight years ago, you decided to leave the U.S. and head over to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Of all places, considering the price of no, the cost of food and the cost of living in New Zealand being so high, why was New Zealand your first choice for moving abroad? I'd been waiting to travel for, I said, at least a year, but kind of indefinitely. It was The hope was that it'd be a year or longer, and I'd been waiting to do that. Really, I studied abroad in Mexico in 2002. I went abroad by myself to South America in 2005. I went abroad with a partner to Brazil in 2006. I went to Southeast Asia in 2008, and I was waiting. Each time, I would meet these travelers who were on I'd go for six weeks or four weeks or 10 weeks. And I'd meet these other travelers who were gone for six months, a year, a two, two years. And I thought, wow, that would be so cool. I really want to do that. So I saved up a bunch of money, but then quit my job. And it was four or five months later that I was actually ready to leave the country. I had to go to a bunch of weddings. And by the time, I, at the time I was in a relationship and my partner and I, we'd been spending money for four or five months. So New Zealand has a working holiday visa program for anyone under the age of 30 is really easy. They also have a program if you're up to 35, but it gets a little bit more complicated. Um, so we, we wanted to work. We were either going to go teach English in South Korea, possibly in Thailand. We were looking at working holiday visas for New Zealand, for Australia. I'm a big outdoors woman. I do a lot of mountaineering and hiking and backpacking and rafting and rock climbing. And New Zealand is outdoor paradise. So we headed over there uh, with working holiday visas to make a little more cash for the road. Okay. So there was a strategy behind that. Definitely. Nice. nice. And, how okay. long, and how long were you in New Zealand for? The visa's for a year, and we stayed 
for the entire year with an exception of a little visit back to the U.S. for a family reunion. And what was that transition like to New Zealand and just the, the culture, everything? I learned a lot. I shifted from being a baby American traveler to the more common traveler that I meet abroad. And by that, I mean, when I got to New Zealand, my life was pretty crazy and I hadn't had a lot of time to do research. So I didn't realize New Zealand's it's like the size of California. And going from when my partner and I were in Brazil in 2006, we did this huge loop. Brazil's about the size of the U.S. And we did a loop basically around the whole country. And when we met this couple on the Amazon, they had a guidebook. We were traveling with that one. Their guidebook had a bunch of potential itineraries for Brazil. And it said that the loop that we did should take someone six months to a year. We did it in 10 weeks. So that's my, that's been my, that was my travel style up until arriving in New Zealand. So when I got there, I thought, oh my God, I've screwed up massively. I'm going to place the size of California for a year. What am I going to do with a whole year in this place? <laughs> it was great. It was so great. I really learned to slow down. What a treasure. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best thing about travel. So your website, Half the Clothes, is pretty cool. Like I said, you write a lot about real life situations around the world and you get tons of free advice. So with that said, there was a blog post specifically that I felt, you know, it resonated with me and a lot with, it can with our listeners, because it's the, one of the questions that we get the most is how do you afford to travel? That question is universal, hands down. If you've been to you know, a multitude of countries, first thing people go, well, how do you afford to travel? So you broke it down in this blog post and I would like for us to dissect it and for you to give our listeners a little background on your key points, if you don't mind. So the first one you wrote was rich in time. Yeah, I think that your time, attention and health are the three most important commodities in your life and they're the most limited commodities in your life. Obviously, we need money to eat and do things that we want to do, but money is infinite. It's just an argument of value. You can make as many arguments about that as you want, but you can't, there's no way you're going to get more time. Nobody's getting more time. So uh, when you have time, you can use it to obtain things that before you were using to obtain money. So and a great example is usually it's about $2,000 round trip to fly to Australia. I saw tickets last year for $600. And so I just dropped everything and I could go on the days that were the cheap flights and I went. Same thing, I went to Alaska last year, exact same thing happened. I saw round trip tickets for $100 to well, that, a place that I've wanted to go forever. Well, that moves us into your another key point is to find dirt cheap flights. So once I became a part of a travel club, I learned this whole lesson on finding the, deep, the dirt cheap flights. However, I get people in my inbox that's like, oh, can you help me find? I'm not a flight attendant. I'm not a, a travel consultant. I'm not a, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't do other people's travels itinerary. So it's not like that. It's kind of like if a travel deal pops up. So from the U.S. in D.C., we've seen a flight deal to Australia, including New Zealand. And it was like $256. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. But you have to be willing to drop that credit card at a drop of a hat. So can you give our listeners some of the, the websites that you use for dirt cheap, for trying to find dirt cheap flights? Well, really, my number one recommendation to people is actually to fly for free. So if you're an American listening, you have almost no excuse. You need to be flying for free. It's I wrote a whole post about it. I can um, I can make a show notes page for this on Half the Close so that the things that we talk about, I can put together some links for people. 
will be halfthecloth.com slash chroniclesabroad. And some free flights, that's the place to start. And there's the travel hacking. I didn't do it for years because I thought I don't fly enough. I don't spend enough money. I'm not flying enough on the same airline. I just thought I wouldn't rack up enough points. Little did I know these minimum spending bonuses are where you get all these points. I started travel hacking three years ago. Uh, the only flights that I've paid for are the ones that are like a hundred bucks because I, the points are more valuable to me. I'd rather use those on like a six or $700 flight. So I almost never pay, pay to fly ever. Yeah. When I pay to fly, I use Skyscanner is my favorite tool for someone in my position who's really open and kind of doesn't care. Like I'm going to the East coast of the U S in June and I don't, I could fly into Boston or I could fly into Philadelphia. I, I don't care. So I can, because I'm so flexible with airports, Skyscanner is great for me. I can just say, tell me either of these airports to anywhere in the world. And then I can pick, you can kind of figure out that way. So like if you're trying to go to Europe, Skyscanner is great because you can just say US to anywhere in the world. And then you can go down the list of flights until you find a European country. And then mm -hmm. you can fly to that European country, even if you don't want to go to Ireland. If you can get a $90 flight to Ireland and then a cheap inter intercontinental Ryanair or something onward from Ireland, that's a huge savings. Yeah, so sometimes I go on Skyscanner and I just type in everywhere just because for shits and giggles, I want to see where I might want to go next. So sometimes do not let the destination pick you, pick the destination based on, oh, sorry, let's let's flip that. Don't choose the destination, let the destination pick you. There's plenty of places I've been thus far because of the flight deal. I mean, I'll be honest, it worked out perfectly. If you're limited with your dates and that sort of thing, then I recommend Google Flights because it's an easier tool to put in multiple airport possibilities. I don't know, I grew, where I grew up, it's so rural that you have to drive to an airport and it's either gonna be a three hour drive or a six hour drive or a two hour drive. So you just put in all of those different possibilities and see which one is gonna work out for your situation. And so Google Flights makes that way easier than Skyscanner does. Skyscanner, you have to look that all up one at a time. Google Flights lets you kind of say like, here are all of my possibilities, all my variables. Go. You know, we're more than just travel. We provide tips, resources, and hacks for the curious traveler in you. So whether you're a lover of travel or just someone who is ready for a change, we have something for everyone. So the next key point, which I love, which is I'm a huge proponent of, is to be flexible. Can you give us some insight on, on what that means to you? So we kind of covered that already with the time and then the cheap flights through Skyscanner. You have to be willing to, like you said, you have to let the place choose you a little bit. And you also kind of have to let the dates choose you. I got this great flight to New Zealand. Uh, oh, that that flight in 2000, my first, you know, I'm going to travel the world for at least a year and now it's been eight. That flight I got, and it was a with a layover in Hawaii. And it was just because we were willing to stop in Hawaii for a few days. It was really cool. 
That's awesome. Those long layovers are great. I tell people all the time, if you can get a two in one, do it. It makes no sense. You know, I have to head back to the States in June and I am trying to find something that lays me over for like 36 hours, you know, or for 24 hours. I really am not looking for the six hour layover. I'm looking for that long layover so I can make another trip out of it and go to see another country while I'm there for a little bit. So totally that. Now, this is where I feel. Stick to a budget. So I also am a co-host on a podcast called Ticket to Blog. And my co-host, Bernadette, has this really cool YouTube channel called Felicia's Wallet. So anyone who has tried to budget and failed could really benefit from her series. I'm definitely one of those, like, spreadsheet freaks who like love spreadsheets if you're not me and you don't like spreadsheets she's got the right advice for you she's got like how to not how to budget but not have to deal with a spreadsheet but I write down everything I spent every single thing just because it's sort of like have you guys read that book or heard about the book about cleaning out your house the Japanese art of tidying up I've heard of that book it's on my list (laughs) yeah She talks about you touching everything you own once a year, right? Like, just touch everything you own. And kind of, it requires that you are more intentional and that you have more clarity. And so for me, touching everything I spent that day at least once in an intentional way versus just like, oh, walking down the street, there's a pineapple stand. Sweet, gonna have some pineapple. I go at the end of the night going like, okay, I spent a dollar on pineapple. I spent $3 on this. I spent $25 on that train ticket. I, it's sort of like writing down what you ate, right? Like, oh, yeah, I guess I did eat five Snickers bars today. Hmm, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. So I just, that's a big part of just paying attention to money. But the reason that I do that, and I think this is one of the points coming up, is um, I value being able to do what I want way more than I value having what I want. I'm so much happier. I love that. I love that because that is so true. Another thing is you get people that are like, oh, but it's so expensive. It's really not. I tell people all the time, if you cut back on some of the things that you are doing on a day-to-day, the brunches, the lunches, the smoking or hanging out, if you take one full week, maybe two weeks and not do it, you'll have enough for a round-trip ticket, I'm sure, especially in a a place like New York or Washington, D.C. You just have to look at where you're spending your money Cut that by a little bit. Before I left the States, I cut back on cable. Cable was very expensive. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I was flipping through channels with nothing to watch anyway. So why was I paying for it? <laughs> I, I think a lot of our spending is, this is just my experience going from like working a desk job nine to five to now this life. And I realized that back then so much of my spending was sort of like self-medicating essentially. And now that I really, really like my life. I just don't, I mean, back then giving up the things that I spent money on would have felt like giving up sources of happiness, right? Like, but, but I want to go out to dinner with my friends and I want to go to the bar and have five drinks and I want to buy concert tickets. I, those were my sources of happiness. So imagining like going to this travel life where you don't do those things anymore so that you can have money to travel. It's like, I don't want to be deprived of my only sources of happiness, but Traveling makes me so much more happy. All that stuff is like child's play now. Like, I, that, I don't even go out to dinner anymore because I realize I don't even like it. 
I used to I used to go out to dinner all the time, but like actually I don't even like going out to dinner. All the other things I do are so much more fun. I love that. When actually when I moved to Japan, knowing how expensive it it is, so I found this really cool budget app and I can't remember the name, but um and so it allows me to plug in everything that I spent super easy to use. So I could see and project how much I can I'm like, okay, I need to back it up a little bit. Because if I keep going at this rate, I'm going to go over budget. So it was super helpful to help me stay on track because it's very easy in Japan to go broke. Okay. <laughs> very easy. So, but I love that because sometimes you have to realize like the stuff doesn't matter, but the experiences are everything. The conversations you have, the scenery and landscapes that you've been able to witness, the sunsets, all that stuff, like everything else. It doesn't matter, except for the food. I love to eat, so <laughs> that's different. I was just saying, except for the food, I love to eat, so <laughs> I can't compromise on that. But anyway, go ahead. There's an autonomy piece as well. The the happiness that you get from autonomy, from just being able to do what you want with your time is so huge. Hey. That's true. That's true. And so what Francis said, it takes us into our next bullet point, which is to live other people's lives. And I don't think a lot of people, it's funny because I see people who have traveled and are seasoned travelers, but they really are still just vacationing. There's such a difference between vacationing and immersing yourself and actually learning, right? So I love this key point. So if you can go into a little bit more about what it means to live other people's lives. So I do a lot of work exchanging and I'm a huge fan. The base model for this, although it varies enormously, is four hours of work a day in exchange for a place to eat or a place to sleep and food to eat. And that changes depending on the location. Some people want more hours, some people want less hours, some people don't include food. But it's such a cool way to get connected with locals and get to know a local community and a local area and really just live as a local and also to do something meaningful. Anybody who's traveled for more than just like two weeks will have experienced this sort of numbness from just constantly going to museums and then out to eat and then to a play and then out to a club. You not doing anything of significance and not doing anything that gives back to the world for so long actually starts to get really boring. And, and old quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So work exchanges are super cool because you're always creating something, you're doing something, you're improving someone else's life. I also really like house sitting that's a really cool way, especially if you're an introvert like me, to get a little bit of downtime to yourself. But also there's a level of structure, right? Like you've got things that are going on with pets or plants. And so you've got a little bit of structure to your day, but you've also got a lot of time and space to yourself. And people who are of the demographic who are hiring house sitters generally have like pretty nice places to stay, which that part's cool too. Yeah. And I mean, like you said in your, like you said in your blog post, you get to actually immerse yourself with the locals. You go to a local watering hole, you're staying in a, a home of a family, in a remote village, rooftop parties, things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do had you not known a local or put yourself in a different situation. Because I think a lot of people just travel, 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 and then they get disappointed with the the whole, oh, I thought it would be like this. 
And it's like, well, all you're doing is chasing again. You're chasing that Instagram. You're chasing that photo. You're chasing what what you believe it to be in one way. But it's a whole nother world if you just open your eyes and allow yourself to go off the beaten path a little bit. I just heard Seth Godin on a podcast uh, yesterday. I think it's called, it's not Don't Quit Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job. I love that podcast. Don't Keep Your Day Job. Yeah, yeah. So he was on there and he was saying... He at the very end of the episode, he was saying that kind of like the number one thing that he's really focused on right now is humans really like to be need humans need all humans need to be seen. And he was saying in cultures where humans are really trying hard to see each other, people are really happy. And in cultures where people are trying really hard to be seen, people tend to be really unhappy. And I think that this work exchanging and house sitting you're very other focused you're essentially trying to see other people and when you're just going to the cafe and the museum and on the tour and taking your selfies for instagram and facebook who are you focused on you it's all about you you're not talking to any locals who aren't standing on the other end of a paycheck it's just not very gratifying to focus on yourself so if you can if you can do that if you can focus your life on seeing other people man it changes so your many whole happy world days. yeah and i think he calls it radical empathy and I think that's what's missing in a lot of exchanges and connections. And if you can come back to that, I mean, it really just turns your worldview upside down. I love it. I just wrote an article about this actually called How to Talk to People at Parties, because I used to be one of those people who was like, ah, everybody be so boring and it's so hard. Like, you know, the conversation runs out and then you're just standing there like, oh, God, what do I say next? And like the person you ask the person a question, like, come on, man, just find one to run with. Don't make me do all the work here. And I finally, the person didn't put it like this, but eventually I got some advice from friends because what I wanted was just a list of pocket questions. Just give me like five questions that I can ask anybody. And at least one of those five questions, people will finally have like a story or something to tell me so that I don't have to work so hard in these conversations that are miserable anyway. I'm at a party. I'm an introvert. Get me out of here. So they were like, Gemma, that doesn't exist. You can't these are humans you can't just have this rote set of questions and this person didn't put it this way but essentially she said you have to empathize with people if they say they're from boston say what was it like growing up in boston and if they say that they're an investment banker say wow that must be really hard gosh do you do you have to get up pretty early for that are you usually tired whatever just think about what it's like to live their life make a guess and ask if you're right and essentially that's what seth godin would call seeing other humans right Got it. I like it. I love it. Now, also, I call it traveling with a purpose because, I mean, we could sit there all day and say, oh, I went to this place and bought this and seen that. But how many times have you been able to say, I went to this place and was able to volunteer or give back in any kind of way? And that's when I sat down with myself and was like, Nubia, what are you doing? You've been in 30 something plus countries and you still haven't immersed yourself in a certain way. So, when you sit back and you really look at how you're traveling and the kind of money you're putting into travel, you're not really doing anything different if you're just traveling overseas to party, shop, and walk to museums. You really do need to get into the culture a lot more and see what else is out there. That's so, how you make the memories, right? Correct. Better memory. And you, and you also build friendships and connections, you know, that way. It's awesome when you can meet people and be like, you know, if you ever come back, you're more than welcome to stay or they take you to see their family. And I mean, that's just something that is invaluable. Yeah. And I just want to add one more thing. So I was on Instagram and there was somebody I followed 
I recently just started following her and she was saying how she was at the market, a Middle Eastern country, which I can't remember the name. She was at the market and she was trying to finagle and negotiate and she was getting, she's being that frustrated American. And so at the end of it, she finally, they agreed on a price. And at the end of the conversation, he was like, he invited her to tea and she was like, being real snarky, like, well, how much does that cost? Right. <laughs> and he was like, and he was super offended. Like he clutched his heart and was like, and he gasped and he was like, no, like that's what we do. And that's what they do in, in this country, in this culture is they invite people for tea and they sit for hours and they just talk and they slow down. And next thing you know, she was having tea with him and his family. And it was just amazing. Yeah, and most times a lot of locals really just want to speak English. They want to speak English with the English speaker. They actually are curious about how it is to be an American or what it's like to be, like, they really want to know too. So it even makes it even better because it's an equal exchange of, you know, reciprocity. I want to know about you. You want to know about me. Let's learn. It's a cultural exchange that you can't, it's just awesome. So let's move it on to the next one go without. I think this is what scares people the most. So we touched on this a little bit already. When back in my nine to five desk life, the things that people who are traveling tell you you have to go without seem awful, right? Like, because most of the things that you're buying, most of the things that are making you happy are things that you're purchasing. Your daily life experience is not making you happy and you're buying things that then make you happy. So in your worldview, the things that make you happy are these things that you spend money on. And if you go, if you stop having money, then you can't get those things. Therefore, you won't be happy. But I've that's not actually the case I found. Um, I worked, to put myself through university, I worked at this coal mine in Wyoming where I'm from. And I saw this cycle. Everyone who worked there begged me not to become a forever employee of that place. Don't do what I did. Don't work here forever. Don't think you're just going to work here for a couple of years and save up a bunch of money and leave because that's not what's going to happen. And I actually wrote my senior dissertation on this phenomenon. So I think what happens is people start working the job. It's, they're saving a patch, but it's actually, it's not, it's kind of miserable. There are 12 hour shifts. There's day shifts. There's night shifts. You got these weird days off. You're often not seeing your family and your friends. You can't take a college class on Wednesday nights because you're working every half of the class you're not available to go to. And so you get really disconnected from the rest of society. And even if you're just doing like a desk job, if your work is really taking it out of you mentally and emotionally and physically maybe, then you need a lot of recovery. And if you don't have the time to recover, then you find these other things going without to get to the place where you switch to a lifestyle that it's easy to go without. It, it's a hard hurdle, but man, once you do it, yeah, well, I think people, when they say, when you when they hear the term go without, they really think that you have nothing. And that's just not what we're saying. But I do challenge the listeners, whoever is listening right now, challenge yourself not to buy something new right now. Like, look, go into your home and look around. Like Gemma said, touch the stuff that you have. Ask yourself, have I used that in the last six months or a year? Have I worn that? Have I done this? And as you start answering these questions and the answers most times will be, no, I haven't, but I plan on it. No, I haven't, but I will. No, I haven't, but I have use for it later on. Realize that you said that probably the year before <laughs> and it's time to start purging. So we had an interview with a young woman who just moved from the U.S. to Japan. And she told us that one of the hardest things was getting rid of her things because 
she had so much stuff. You don't understand the amount of clothes, shoes, just items that you accumulate in your lifetime or, you know, and it becomes overwhelming when you're ready to move around a little. And some people are like, well, I'll just get a storage uh, unit. I have so many acquaintances here in Thailand that have a storage unit and it's a hindrance because now they have to go back to the States, either empty out the storage unit because they're paying for something monthly that they don't see or use. So what's the point? So I challenge you to really pay attention to the things you have around you, in your home, in your closet, in your drawers, and just start cleaning out a little bit. You'll start feeling so much better. Going without doesn't mean not having anything. It doesn't mean that you have to get up and shred everything that you have just so that you can move or go somewhere. I'm just talking about it will lighten your load at, at least and give you a little bit better clarity on the things that are important to you and the things You're that you need. You're essentially getting rid of choices. Like the more choices you can get rid of in your life, the more mental space you have. There's exactly. a, a writer who just did an article. She's a, she does tiny house stuff. And she said the average American home has 300,000 items. And every time you see an item that like isn't in daily use, every time you see it in your closet, there's this little part of your brain that goes like, oh yeah, I have those extra pillows there. That's right. I'm going to use those if this situation ever occurs. Oh yeah, that scarf. I always think that I want to wear that. I'm going to remember to wear that next time I go out, right? So how much you appreciate something in your day or thinking about somebody that you're going to call really soon or even just having some blank brain space where all your great ideas come from. Exactly. I love that because as I prepare for my move to Thailand, I'm like, got to do it again because I have a little bit extra stuff like I brought these heels because Japan is such a business culture I never wore them you know what I'm saying like I never wore oh. them I don't even like wearing heels so they gotta go so I'm downsizing again literally getting rid of stuff I'm like this isn't good and it's funny because I was I saw a post by the minimalists and they were like had a list of things that to give you an idea of how to downsize and I'm like if it's worn if it's like looking like it needs to be trashed let it go just let it go. And you feel freer. And I don't like having to make so many choices. So I don't like a lot of clothes or a lot of shoes anyway. I Because I don't want to have to get up and decide and do all of, It's just too much mental energy. So I agree. All right. Next key point, travel slowly. Love this is not one. everybody's. Yeah, I'm learning how to do that now, honestly. And not everybody has the time to do so. But can you give us a little bit of background on what it would mean to travel slowly? Well, in the context of affording to travel, that's, for instance, renting an apartment in the capital of Croatia in the summertime when all the Croatians are at the coast. But the capital is a beautiful city. It was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. If you've never been to Europe, it's what most people think of when they think of Europe. This uh, Zagreb in Croatia is still very much that old architecture style. They have this huge park it's like 300 acres, and they have tons of cafes. Everywhere you go, there's cafes to sit out in the sun. They have great public transportation. There's a lot of stuff going on culturally. There are free movie nights. There's a football stadium, soccer. Uh, and it's a really cool place to be, and it's really cheap. So for like 200 bucks plus, you know, maybe another 200 bucks in food, you could stay there for a month. Or... You can spend a month going to 10 different places in Europe and you can go to Paris and you can go to London and then you can go to Milan and you can go to Sicily and like add it all up. That's going to be, you could spend like 10 grand in a month. You can spend 20. 
Yeah, well, I think most people try to cram in a lot into an itinerary. So people say, oh, I'm coming to Thailand for 10 days. And I want to see Phi Islands. And, oh, I want to get to Chiang Mai. And, oh, I want to see Bangkok. I'm like, do you understand that you're talking about a whole entire country in 10 days? You know, don't do that. Pick a place and go and enjoy that place. Because you don't want to spend majority of your vacation time traveling to this place, that place, this place, that place. You, you, you lose a lot of time. You spend a lot of money. And it's just, again, in the end, does not become as gratifying. So if you have the option or the opportunity... Pick where you want to go and try to enjoy that place. If you're in the South region, stay your ass in the South region. You can go travel within the Southern region, but don't try to go from Southern to Northern to Central to this, that, and the other, because it's just, you're spending so much time and energy to do that, and it's not really worth it. And then the vacation ends up, you have to, you go home wanting to take a vacation from the vacation. I think it's a scarcity mindset. It's the idea that I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money while I'm here. Let me do X, Y, Z. So it's a scarcity mindset in which you need to just challenge yourself to just believe that you will have enough time and there will be another opportunity. That's the thing. There should be and will be another opportunity. And I think that's what it is, is that opportunities do present themselves. Make the opportunity. I post a lot on you know my Facebook page about like the travel deals. Traveling to Thailand from the U.S., could be as inexpensive as like $450 round trip. That's not a lot of money. That's about an average flight from Washington, D.C. to L.A. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Within the country. So allow yourself time to know that you can come back and you will come back. And if you have the mindset that, you know, life is short and things like that, at least you are able to enjoy your vacation. And when I say enjoy it, I mean enjoy it fully without the headache of going in your, your suitcase, trying to not being able to unpack. If you're able to unpack while you're on vacation, that's great. That's what I'll just say. I think that also it's another, like, sort of seeing and being seen and really thinking a lot about wanting control, right? Like I'm going to go to Thailand and I'm going to go to Bangkok and Chiang Mai and the islands and you don't leave any time or space for the things that happen to you. Like you were saying about the flights, about letting, letting the vacation pick you. So if you don't leave any space in your itinerary to let the place pick you, you are not going to end up like you, the market story you told. You're not going to end up having tea with somebody and going back because a person that's that scheduled is going to have to leave the market and say, oh, no, thank you. We can't go to tea. We have a schedule. We have a tour scheduled and we've got to be there by this time. And the more you make your vacation about the things you think you want to, the more stressful it is. But if you can go to a place and just go, okay, I'm staying in Florence. I know I'm going to go see the Leaning Tower of Pisa and I'm going to go to Rome for a day. And then I've got 10 other days that I don't know what's going to happen. You're going to end up on a rooftop birthday party. You're going to have the most amazing gelato of your life. You're going to discover a beach that only locals know exists. You're going to make friends with a family. You're going to do all these things that you can't put on an itinerary. You don't get control over those experiences. But if you book yourself out, those things are never going to happen to you. That's a great perspective. I love that. So the last key point that we have is work as needed. What do you mean by that? Well, the money doesn't last forever. You've got to have money coming in at some points. There are so many things you can do. 
I actually have a post about this. I think it's called 24 jobs to do when you travel the world, but now I think it's like 27 or 28. I just keep adding new things that come up. There's the obvious ones like teaching English. There are places where you can be a yoga instructor. There's working on a cruise ship. There's being a facilitator for a group of traveling students. There are a ton of different jobs that you can do. And then obviously there's the digital nomad, freelancey, have a blog kind of stuff. There's lots of, lots of ways to make money on the road. Totally. Abundance. Abundance. It not is the an mindset. Yes. Totally. So thank you for helping me break down that blog because I think that a lot of people need to hear it. And I think they already see it, they read it, but it, it just doesn't resonate and, and it doesn't sink in until they consistently hear it and and all that good stuff. So how we afford to travel, period. You know, I did my own blog on that. Mine was a little bit more in-depth about gearing yourself and preparing yourself for the travel, right? If you don't have finances and your bills are backed up and you need to pay rent, stay your ass at home. <laughs> Just take care of the things that you got to take care of before you worry about doing anything else. It was kind of setting yourself up, you know, financially, making sure you took care of your wealth management first and your mental first before you did other things. But no, this was great. So outside of your blog, you are also the co-host of a cool ass podcast called Ticket to Blog. Can you give our listeners a little rundown of your, of your podcast and how this came about? I'm so glad you like it. Uh, Ticket to Blog, our tagline is the no bullshit podcast about how to be content creator and a nomad without losing your mind or selling your soul. One of my readers, one of my half the clothes readers messaged me about an article I wrote about quitting the internet. So I got really frustrated. I think it was the end of 2016 about when you're a blogger, oh, there's all this crap you're supposed to do. There's SEO and you're supposed to network with people and you're supposed to be posting 5,000 times a day on Pinterest and Facebook and Instagram. And it's, I don't know, man, like. Sounds exhausting. Think, you don't really <laughs> gotta, you don't gotta do that stuff. But if you, and the more you do these, these things that you don't really want to do necessarily, but that you just think you're supposed to, the more soul sucking it is. And I think the dominant message out there is that you do need to do this. You got to get your numbers and then you got to convert your readers into customers. Nah, no, you don't. You can, but you, you don't have to do that. So this reader of mine read this article I wrote about that. And she said, thank God, because she's just brand new on the scene. She wanted, she just quit her job at Instagram to travel the world, paid off $50,000 in debt. And then was like, wait, I have to do this disgusting crap to be have this digital nomad life so she just messaged me to say hey that was an awesome article and then I we just got to talking about that whole scene and I'd been looking to mentor someone who cared about being successful as a blogger or a content creator without doing this sales funnel converting your readers getting the numbers crap and she was into it so I said well and how about if we helped other people too so we'll just record our conversations and then all your questions that all newbies are asking, other people can listen to the answers. It's going well and content creators are really liking it, but we also are hearing from like 
bartenders and lawyers and pilots that they really like the podcast. So I think it might be about a little more than just the content creator nomad life. I guess we we obviously are touching on topics that a lot of people care about, not just content creators. So that's exciting once we figure out exactly what that is. Yeah, I think, you know, and I listened to a few of the episodes and, and, I, and I love it because I'm in that blogging world. I took a blogging course, which cost over $1,000. I'm taking a content marketing course now that's free. And so it reminds me of, so Tim Urban, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he did a TED Talk about procrastination. The way that he operates, and for those of you who don't know who Tim Urban is, he's a chronic procrastinator. It always validates me because I'm a procrastinator too, but he still gets things done. And his idea is that he won't post anything unless it's of value. And a lot of his blog posts are massive. They're like long form content, 3,000 words, sometimes 10,000 words. And that's how he operates. Actually, he posted something on Instagram and one of his readers was like, when are you going to post, you know, a new blog? And I, in one of your podcasts episodes, you had mentioned, you're not going to lose readers. You know, those who are really your raving fans are going to wait and they're going to wait sort of patiently, but they're going to wait until you produce the next valuable content. So I love that concept. Definitely. Yeah. I think episode four is a, is of our podcast is about consistency and that had the biggest reaction because Pretty much, not only my co-hosts, but uh, like all of our listeners were like, "Oh, finally! I feel like I can give myself permission to be a human, to just be the way that I am, and that it's okay. Like that I don't have to be posting things that kind of aren't of value. Like I don't have to spend my entire day scheduling stuff for social media that I like. I eh, don't even think that's good. Yeah, yeah. And it it makes a difference yeah. because then you could actually create stuff that matters. And that's really what it's about. <laughs> that's how you connect with people and that's how you grow your business, essentially. So Gemma, what are the top three mistakes that people make when they are starting their blogs? Publish now. That's so important. So many people want to start a blog and they want to get the colors just right and then they want to get their logo designed and then they want to get... No, start right now. Start immediately. No one is listening right now but the robots. And the fact that the robots are listening is really important. They just need to see you be alive. They don't need your colors to match. They don't need your logo to look good. The only people who are reading at the beginning are your best friends and maybe your mom or your dad or both. Just start right now. Get the content out there. As soon as it gets on the robot's radar, you are established as somebody who has said something about that topic in 2018. If you wait until 2019 when your perfect logo is designed, you're a year behind somebody else who's talking about the exact same thing. So please, God, start now. Just please hit the publish button today. Worry about making it better later. And then trying to be perfect. I mean, mm. I know we just said publish valuable content. Publish valuable content that's valuable to you, but... Success is just the icing on a failure cake. Life is about failures. Another, a better word for failure is experience. You do not get to success without a whole lot of failures. And I think a lot of newbies are afraid to fail. They don't want to start until they know they're going to be successful. Well, guess what? You are not going to be successful until you started for about the 15th time. So start, get, please get your failures out of the way. Try, go out and try to find ways to fail so that you can get your cake big enough to ice, right? I think that holding, holding back until you know it's going to be perfect 
is going to hold you back forever or for years. Just start. No one's listening. No one's listening. Go ahead and go out there. And it's not actually even going to be a failure. I have, oh, 650-plus posts on my website. Some of them are awful. And I leave them there so I can just laugh at myself because the only – no one ever reads those. The robots see them. But none of my readers are ending up on some, like, a horrible thing when I wrote 10 years ago. They're not – nobody's even looking at that. Like, out of the 650 – Maybe 50 of them get lots and lots of views regularly. And those are things that I put my heart and soul into. And the other 600 things that I've written, nobody looks at them. And it doesn't matter. But the robots look at them, and it matters to the robots that, that I have 650 things. The robots care. Humans care that I have 50. Robots care about the other 600. Got it. And you've been in the blogging game for a minute. So have you ever thought about quitting? I could want to quit one day. I like it. I mean, there's times that I like, quit for a month. Like, I got to get away from this. And I don't know, sometimes I don't pay attention to my website for a month. Like, this podcast, you guys know how much work it is to start a podcast. Sort of dominated my life for, like, the last two months, I would say. And probably for the next month as well. And then I'm starting, I'm actually starting another platform called Wanderlife for people who want to maybe, especially for like Americans, but for the whole world, people who want to hack their housing by living in a vehicle. So like van life is a very big thing, but a lot of people are living in their Priuses. They're living out of the back of a bread truck, so living in an RV, just any way to not have to pay rent or a mortgage and to be able to have the time to do what makes you come alive. We've got to get more people doing that in the world. So Right now, if you want to buy a vehicle to live in, it's really hard. Craigslist, and if you're in the middle of, like, Iowa, good luck. How are you going to find a van that already has, like, a bed in it and the situation that you want? So I want to make a website that has a map of where all these vehicles to live in possibilities are. Mm -hmm. And then people can find their vehicle more easily and sell their vehicle more easily. Um, so, you know, maybe I won't be blogging much while that's happening. Don't know. Got it. Got it. So I, I think a lot of people are, are gravitating to your website is because of the idea of you don't have to be perfect. And the idea of put a lot of lousy stuff out there, be lousy and be comfortable with being lousy until you kind of find your voice and your rhythm. And but also be motivated to experience and create more value in your life. And I think that's why a lot of people, that's probably why you're getting pilots and non-blogging individuals who are, are gravitating and enjoying it and consuming your content. Yeah. So what do you value most about the whole blogging life? Because you, I mean, you share and you give a ton of information on your website. So what do you value the most about this blogging life? I mean, I guess I'm going to sound like a crazy hippie, but I'm just doing, I don't know if you've heard this quote, so I wish I could remember who said it, Howard something, but the advice is not to ask what the world needs, but to ask what makes you come alive and then go out and do it because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Mm -hmm. And the crazy hippie part of that is I just really like helping people. I like taking information that I have and then giving it to people to make their lives better. I really like doing that. That's what makes me come alive. So I love writing an article for 10 hours about how to get free flights. And I love writing, man, I made this packing list. We talk 
thought about it on our podcast just because it's the classic example of evergreen content. And, and, so, and it's, a, it's a textbook example of a lot of things. I spent weeks in a Bangkok internet cafe on a spreadsheet platform going through every item meticulously in my bag because I wanted to. Like, I didn't ever know that that could be like a thing that might make money one day. I just really wanted all these backpackers to stop carrying around these enormous backpacks. It's like the size of another human, like an adult human. Please stop doing that. You don't need all that stuff. Please stop. So I went, well, the reason they're doing it is because at the time there really were no packing lists on the internet. Like you would get on the internet and you'd go like, okay, packing to travel abroad, packing to travel the world. And you'd get like some newbie who was like, hey, I'm leaving and here's what I think I'm going to bring. And it would be like obviously way too much stuff. I'm doing something I've never done before. Here's how I think I'm going to prepare. Nobody had come back. Nobody had said, hey, I've been on the road for six months. All those band-aids, totally didn't need them. Nobody did that. So I was like, I am going to save everyone from this horrible backpack situation. No more big backpacks. And then I just spent all my time doing it. And it's been popular for like, I didn't even know that it was like number one on Google. I hired a consultant to help me figure out what an XML sitemap is and tell me some stuff about SEO. And she was like, yeah, you have some like content that's number one on Google and you should be doing some stuff with it. <laughs> like, oh, cool, good. I was almost one of those uh, people who bought the big backpack. <laughs> I'm still so trying to figure it out. You... <laughs> I, yeah. haven't, I haven't done it, but yet, or I don't know, I'm still figuring it out. So I probably need to uh, go read that post and familiarize myself with minimalism and less. So it's time to dive deep and look into the holistic perspective of travel. We believe traveling is an investment in you. So our mission is to inspire you to book that flight, check that item off your bucket list, and go on that adventure. And our hope is to ignite connections all over the world. So what advice would you give or have for people who want to do exactly what you are doing right now? Why? Why do you, why do you want to do it? I mean, I'm not asking you why. I'm asking them why. Why do you want to do this? Yeah. If you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you're not going to be very good at doing it. You're going to be really good at doing the things that you already know how to do. So if you don't know why you're trying to change, you, you probably aren't going to. You've got to get an action plan, right? So know why you want to do what you want to do. And then you can go about figuring out how you want to do it. And you don't, you don't even necessarily have to know why you do want to do a certain thing, a new thing. You could know, you could just know why you don't want to keep doing what you're doing. That's enough clarity, but you gotta, you gotta get clarity. And a lot of clarity takes time. And a lot of us in our time deprived lives have zero time for clarity. None of it. Right. So you don't have to meditate if you want like don't meditate fine but like put aside that 20 minutes and just promise yourself that you won't do anything you can do whatever you want you can sleep you can lay on the floor and stare at the ceiling you can write if you want you can try and meditate if you're and maybe you're actually good at meditating you can meditate but give yourself some time and space in your life to think so you know what your why is and once you know why you're doing something once you have that connection to your purpose you'll be on fire I love that. I think that's really solid advice because often we find ourselves moving abroad and do all these things for one reason, turns out to be another, and it's just one big mess. So, 
Yes. So Gemma, we're going to wrap this up. Let our um, listeners know where they can find you on social media platforms. This is what I always say. Don't find me on social media. I mean, fine. I'm at half the clothes on Instagram, but I don't really post there. I think I have like two photos ever. I'm half the clothes on Facebook. And then at Ticket to Blog on Instagram, at Ticket to Blog on Twitter, and Ticket to Blog on Facebook. It's the number two, because if you use the word two, it looks like Ticketo Blog, like it's Italian or something. But what I really want you to do is get off social media. Stop spending your attention on that stuff. That's not what you want to do with your life. So sure, like follow me, and then you can see all my posts that say, put down your phone, get off social media. What are you doing? Go do something you really love. Yeah, follow it. Follow if you want, but really... What I really want you to do is use your time and attention on the thing that makes you come alive. Please. I love that. That's awesome. I feel That's inspired. awesome. Well, thank inspired you, Gemma. What? what you doing? Well, we can do talk about it off air. <laughs> no, because I, I'm, I'm an introvert too. So like the whole social media thing, sometimes I'm just like, it's one of those necessary evils to a certain degree when you're, you know, building your brand and building your business. In an ideal world, I'd probably be off the grid because <laughs> that's just, I'm such an introvert, but that's just one of those things to balance. Yeah. I try to just try to be like stick with what I most authentically want to do. If I find 10 articles, I'll save them and I'll schedule them, right? Because I, almost to be respectful to readers or listeners or whatever, you can't, if I put out 10 really cool articles that you're like, oh, I really want to read those. You can't read 10 articles right now. You're busy, right? But you can read one. So I think it's a kindness to your followers if you schedule them out so that, you know, you're a curator, your audience is trusting you to curate great content and to create great content. And so schedule it out. And then if I find 10 articles, then for me, that's a month. Like, I don't try to take people's attention more than a couple times a week. I just, I don't have that in me. But, uh, yeah. I love it. Just got to be honest with yourself and your bandwidth. You do. You do. And you learn quickly what you can and cannot deal with in your bandwidth because it is exhausting. Social, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I can get on social media, look up and be like three hours have passed. That's a problem. That's three hours of my time I cannot get back. Granted, I'm online and I'm, you know, I'm working towards letting people know about Chronicles Abroad, you know, helping answer people's questions about moving abroad or whatever the case may be. So I feel like I'm being productive, but in actuality, I could use that productivity elsewhere. So I do love it. I think it's important to to set aside time for things like that. I mean, I try to, to give an hour a day to whatever is being asked of the world to you. But I think that it's easy to let those external requests dominate or block out time for your inner voice, essentially, like your clarity about what you know you're supposed to be doing. And if you don't do those things, there's a lot of momentum that you generate, I think, when you're, when you're doing the things that your inner voice is telling you to do. I mean, it sounds so silly in our modern world. It sounds just such like a hippy-dippy thing. But then the wisdom of the ages is absolutely to listen to your inner voice. There is nothing else to do. That's absolutely what you're supposed to do with your life. But if you're using like a modern conceptualization of the world, then it sounds like, so. oh, your inner voice. Yeah, no, it's pretty much the only thing. I love it. And I totally agree with it. It's I'm a real thing. It. No, it is a real thing. It's a real thing. Well, Gemma, thank you so much for taking the time. 
I just look forward to reading more, to hearing more from Ticket to Blog. You guys keep doing a great job. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show, Gemma. Thank you for tuning in to Chronicles Abroad. Please support us by sharing this podcast through your social media platforms. Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram and hit that like button at Chronicles underscore abroad. Find us online at our website, chroniclesabroad.com for tips, resources, and ways we can collaborate. So don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Until then, beautiful people, thanks for listening. Music by Stephanie James and Almighty K-Rock, produced by Adam Marcus.